Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of the Five School Podcast. As always, I'm George Clyde, and this week, I talked with my friend Alex Ziblis about the Major League Baseball trade deadline. We recorded on a Wednesday, the day after the trade deadline, July 31st, had some good debates, talked about Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, the Pirates, Chris Archer, all those teams making moves. So we got into that. And just a couple of quick notes before I share the conversation I had with you. We're working hard each week to improve the audio quality of the podcast, and I think gradually we're getting there closer and closer to where I personally want to be. And I'm hoping that for next week's episode, that there'll be a big leap in audio quality, especially from my end. There will be some new equipment that I'll be using to hopefully make my voice sound a lot sharper and clearer. Just trying to put the best content forward for everyone to hear. And just quickly, in the time between when we recorded this podcast and when you'll be hearing it, Sonny Gray, Yankees starter, back end of their rotation. He's been struggling a lot this year. He had an awful outing against the Baltimore Orioles, and he has been sent to the bullpen. Lance Lynn will be coming into the rotation, sliding in. He had a good long outing from the bullpen. And so we talked about those guys a little bit, so I guess it's up to you to decide who was more right about those two pitchers. Thank you, and enjoy. Okay, so I'm here today with Alex Zimblist. We are recording on Wednesday, August 1st. It's the day after the Major League Baseball trade deadline, and a lot of stuff happened. We're going to be talking about the moves that occurred from July 24th to July 31st. So if you want to hear about our thoughts on Manny Machado, you can go back to episode one. But I want to start out with Alex, your favorite team, the Yankees. They were very, very active over the past week. Got a lot of guys. They got J.A. Happ, who has hand, foot, and mouth disease right now. And a ridiculous story in New York. They got Zach Britton to help with their bullpen. They gave away Adam Warren. They got Lance Lynn. So my first general question to you is, how are you feeling about your team's moves over the past week? Look, I think we knew that the Yankees were going to be active before the deadline. They're the New York Yankees. That's what they do, uh, especially with the team that we have right now. The Yankees organization and front office feels like, you know, we can contend for a championship this year. For that reason, we're obviously buyers at the, at the deadline. To go through these trades piece by piece, adding Zach Britton's great. I've always thought that he's one of the best uh, relievers in the game. Obviously, a couple years ago, he had that historic year where it just seemed like you couldn't touch him. And he's he's looked good, like he's getting back to form recently. So I'm excited about that. And what I'll say generally, George, about all of the moves that the Yankees made is they're giving up some good pieces. They give up Tate for Britain is is probably one of the, the bigger things that they gave up. Obviously, we let go of McKinney. We let go of Drury. We let go of Shreve. We let go of Adam Warren. And these are all guys who are honestly good players who can make contributions at the major league level. The reason I'm okay with it is because they're trading from a position of strength. You know, the Yankees have a very deep system. A lot of these guys weren't really needed. Tyler Austin's a good player. He was not needed. Chasen Shreve is now quite expendable with the addition of Zach Britton adding another lefty to our pen. Adam Warren, again, a guy we don't really need. Brandon Drury, I'd I'm actually really high on Brandon Dre. I think he's going to have a nice career, but we have Miguel Andujar, uh, you know, rookie of the year candidate at third base. And 
you know, it doesn't look like he's going to start slowing down anytime soon. So for that reason, a lot of these guys, I'm not that high on. Zach Britton, I'm pretty high on. Jay Happ, I think is good, not great. Luke Voigt, I don't think is very good, but he adds depth. Lance Lynn, I don't think is very good, but again, he adds depth. And so the, the reason I like what the Yankees have done leading up to this trade deadline is because they, they haven't really given up anything that I'm upset about. What they've done is they've added depth while trading from positions of strength. And the other thing that I'll mention, George, is that a lot of these guys, Tyler Austin, Billy McKinney, would need to be protected on the 40-man roster to keep them safe from the Rule 5 draft. So they're guys that would have been hard for the Yankees to keep anyway. And in order to keep these guys in the future, uh, would have meant making other guys vulnerable during this Rule 5 draft. I think they got rid of some guys who, honestly, they didn't need. And I think what they got in return was modest in in most cases, but uh, still something that could help them down the road. So I think I like what they did. I generally like what they did, but I like what they did a lot more when you're talking about the beginning of their week with the Britain and Hat moves. I wasn't a huge fan of some of their later moves, so we can dive in more more in depth right now, I guess. With Britain, it's another guy. It's a lefty for that bullpen, which is honestly now, if Britain returns to full strength, I mean, the Yankees bullpen is borderline unbeatable. He's had a bit of an up and down season coming from that arm injury, a lot of walks, trying to get back his control. But if he can round back into form and he's looked good recently. Yeah. And I mean, you're talking about a guy where the talent's there. You mentioned the historic 2016 season. He had a 0.54 ERA. He was a Cy Young candidate as a closer, which is ridiculous. Obviously, that was the year where, you know, there was some controversy with Showalter leaving him in the bullpen for Ubaldo Jimenez. I think if Britain, if you have 80% of Zach Britton, that's a huge asset for your team, especially in October when we know that relief pitching is so, so vital, so, so important. And then the Jay Hat move I also really like. Here's a guy where think he's just a guy who can get innings. You know what he'll do. He won't blow a ball game for you. And the Yankees, to be honest, the rotation is a mess. Yeah, it's, I don't even know if I agree with you, but okay. You don't think it's a mess? Sunny Gray um, and then random dudes? What, okay, well, I'll say this. Severino struggled at the top recently, but I'm not too concerned about that. I think the Yankees are going to be cautious with his innings, uh, cautious about getting him enough rest leading towards the home stretch of the season. He showed his true colors the first half of the season. He's one of the most dominant pitchers in the game. You question the back end of the rotation. Tanaka's last two starts have both been extraordinary. He's looked really, really, really good. So we're feeling good about that. Sonny Gray's last two starts have been pretty darn good. So it looks like there's at least some hope that he's kind of snapping out of it. And I've always been very high on Sonny Gray. George, you can back me on that. I was always, I was excited when they brought him over and surprised to see him struggle as much as he has. And then, you know, CeCe's been pretty solid all year. He hasn't been dominant, but he's been pretty solid. He's a he's a good three or okay, four here. starter. So um, here's what I'll say. Sabathia, Tanaka, or excuse me, Severino, Tanaka, Sabathia as your top three. Sonny Gray and what? I would much rather have J.A. Happ there at like a four or a three starter than what you've been throwing out there. Maybe. I think okay. you're really selling him short. He's a guy where he had a couple bad outings that sort of accelerated his ERA, but he's a guy where he's an innings eater and he'll throw up for like a four ERA, a three seven type ERA type deal. Just win you games, just go deep, not have a four inning struggle type start. He'll just be around for a while in games. So, yeah, I, I'm not disagreeing with that. I think he's pretty good. I'm just saying. 
I, I think that we did have some improvements at the bottom of our rotation, even without Hap. That's all I'm saying. I'm just not confident in anyone that the Yankees are throwing out there past that first three. And I think Hap is a guy where he could make a postseason start, which is something that could not be said for a lot of these other guys they've been throwing out there. Yes, I, I agree. He, he's he's a big improvement over Domingo Herman or Sesa or whoever else the Yankees were going to throw out there, maybe from their minor yeah, leagues. And I don't mind at all the pieces that they gave back there. You mentioned Jury. He's a guy where he just didn't have a fit in New York. The team was just overall stacked. He was wasting away in AAA, hasn't been able to get a rhythm at the big league level. He's He's sort of an average infielder where... I don't really know what Toronto was doing with Jury. I would rather have two more prospects and a guy like McKinney, even if there's maybe more lower end prospects. I just the Blue Jays don't need Jury. Yeah, but point. but don't forget Drury's young and and still a guy who hasn't really reached his peak yet. And I know he's not a prospect per se. I still think he's a young player who has room for growth. So technically not a prospect, but I think Toronto might think of him. A bit and then McKinney's way. a guy where I know McKinney from his years in the Cubs farm system, and we've been waiting on McKinney for years and years now to have an impact or to you know to reach the, the big league level, and it just hasn't happened for him yet. And I don't know. He seems to me he might he's heading down the path to Triple A guy, and the upside's still there. He's just a really good overall hitter. I still believe in him, even though he's been struggling a bit in Triple A, but. I don't know. I think this might be a guy where it just things don't break right for him. So I don't mind the Yankees giving it up. It's not exactly a top type of prospect. I think everyone was a lot more high on him, let's say in 2015, 2016 than they are now. It seems he's just sort of been in the minor leagues floundering around for a while now. And I think it's hard to regain momentum when you spent a while not exactly blowing away the competition. I mean, J.A. Happ's mm-hmm. a guy where he can help you win a World Series, I think, right now. And I think just in that, he's a guy who can possibly move the needle a little bit in a postseason type of series. So I like those type of moves. Any move that any move that can help you win in the playoffs when you're a Yankees type of team is a huge plus. And the Britain and Hat moves are both like that. They also got Luke Voigt, like you mentioned. I don't know. He's a backup kind of guy. Maybe someday he can show some pop, but that's not exactly a move that, you know, moves the needle and Shreve is gone. I don't think anyone will miss him too, too much. And that's my point, George. Like we're getting Luke Voigt, who I, I agree with everything that you just said about Luke Voigt. I'm not that high on him. He just adds depth. We know that bird has been injury prone in the past. And then we're getting rid of Shreve and Gallegos. Those are not guys that we need to be yeah, keeping Yeah, and I think around. maybe Voigt is a little more helpful just as, I mean, would you rather have Voigt as a possible pitch hitter type of guy or Shreve like blowing ball games? I think it's a clear choice. And I think Voigt's a guy, you know, maybe in the next couple of years, he can help you a little bit. But here's one move that I really did not like. It confused me right when I saw it. And it's the type of move that we've seen a lot more of lately. The Yankees acquiring international signing bonus pool money from Seattle for Adam Warren in return. And to me, this basically amounts as, you know, we've seen teams do this. They're getting that that extra money for these international prospects. But why are you giving Adam Warren to the Mariners, who you could be facing in a wild card type of game? 
it just doesn't make much sense to me to why would you not do a similar kind of move just with a national league team? And maybe a lot of this is overblown about not giving guys to teams. You will face a lot in the same league or stuff like that. I mean, in the NBA, we see, we we've seen that a lot. And Adam Warren is a helpful relief pitcher. And I don't know why you would just give a guy like that right to the Mariners. So I actually am going to defend this trade as well. My feeling about Adam Warren is that his his numbers are better than he is. He has a 2.7 ERA. I don't think he's that good. He's had some good years with the Yankees. But again, it's a position of strength that the Yankees are trading from. And Adam Warren didn't really have a spot on their roster. So if they can get something for him, go out and get something for him. Maybe he helps the Mariners a tiny bit, but I don't think it's not like they're giving him a dominant eighth inning guy or anything close to that. And I actually really like what the Yankees are doing, trying to acquire as much international signing bonus pool money as they can. Leading up to the deadline, the Yankees actually required the maximum amount of uh, international signing bonus pool money that you're allowed to. Look, Cashman's been doing this for a while, and, and this is the way that the Yankees are thinking about it, which is we're a good team. And for that reason, based on you know the way the league works, we're not going to be getting top picks. We're not going to be able to keep our farm system so strong, so stacked just through the, through the draft. And this international uh, signing is kind of a way that the Yankees can keep pace with the teams lower in the league who are going to have higher draft picks. It's a way for the Yankees to keep pace with them, keep stockpiling their system uh, with good prospects. So I actually really like what they're I doing there. I think my concern isn't necessarily the impact on the Yankees, which I think is what you were kind of getting at. Adam Warren, that bullpen, they don't need Adam Warren. He's a good pitcher, but the Yankees are have dominant guys right now. Again, my concern would just be how does he impact the Mariners? And all of a sudden, if you're in a wild card game and Adam Warren helps them in some middle innings type of situation, then all of a sudden, I do think there's the potential for that to come back to hurt you. Do you really think that the the Mariners don't have better arms than Warren to put forward in a wild card game? I mean, in my mind, in a wild card game, you use your best pitchers and you don't worry about pitching them a little longer than you normally would. You maybe even bring in a second starter if you really want to. You pitch your closer two innings. This is a wild card game, George. I don't think that you're going to be bringing in like well, your I mean, I fifth think arm out of the bullpen. Here's the thing, though. It is a wild card game. So, so I would assume that they would start James Paxton. But if Paxton starts to waver a little bit, that Yankees lineup is so hard to get through. What if he's out in three innings, which is something that we saw in the wild card game last year? And honestly, the Mariners starting pitchers outside of Paxton aren't terrific. And I think you could see reliever after reliever after reliever. Do I think Warren's a top two, top three guy in that pen? No. But do I think he's a top five, top six guy? Yeah, I do. And I think if you get to a fifth, sixth inning type of situation, then Adam Warren is a guy that I think could help them in the wild card game. So now this last move was one I personally did not like at all. Lance Lynn, they got, Yankees got Lance Lynn for Tyler Austin and Luis Rijo. But Lance Lynn, he's a guy, he came out of the gates really struggling this year. He sort of ride the ship, but still 5.1 ERA, 1.63 whip. Doesn't exactly give you a lot of confidence. He's a guy where he was really good in 2014, 2015, and got injured and hasn't quite been the same since. I would assume he's sort of a swingman role, kind of cycling it out the fifth spot in the rotation and as a long guy in the bullpen, but I just don't see how he helps the Yankees at all. What do you think? 
when I initially saw this deal, I was down on it. I was confused. I agreed with you. I kind of thought we already have five starters who are better than he is. I'm not sure why we're doing this. Now, again, I'm going to back the Yankees' moves as I've backed all of their moves. I do like it, and for this reason. They're not giving up much, so that's makes it okay in my mind. But he's a guy who's been recovering from Tommy John surgery, and people are saying that he's starting to get healthy. It takes a while after, even after you make it back to the big league level, even after you log some innings, coming back from Tommy John surgery takes time, and it seems like he's getting back into his groove. The other thing that I'll say is he's been around for a while. He's a veteran pitcher, could probably perform well in important innings. And I guess the final thing that I'll say is the Yankees have a pitching staff, especially thinking here about Severino and Sabathia, that's going to need some rest down the home stretch. We've seen Severino in past years, kind of when the innings catch up to him, uh, fade towards the end of the year. And the same is true for Sabathia as he's gotten older. And what Lynn allows them to do is either skip them in the rotation once to give them a full 10 days off between outings, or uh, even just insert him as a sixth starter to give everyone an extra day of rest. Our pitchers have been dealing with a handful of different ailments. So if someone did go down, um, we have a guy ready to take over. Look, I don't anticipate the Yankees using him a lot. I don't anticipate him being fantastic, but I like him there. I think he's a good safety net. Can give some other guys some rest. I think Tyler Austin is a guy where I just don't know if he has the on-base skills to ever contribute at the major league level. You're looking for moves that can help you win a World Series. And I don't think we'll see Lance Lynn in the playoffs, but maybe in the dog days of August, when some games here enter some troublesome situations, maybe you're ahead by a bunch and you don't want anyone to get hurt. He can eat up innings for us. That's what I think. So there's another team that will always be tied with the New York Yankees, the Boston Red Sox. And they made a couple of other moves as well. This week or this past week, they got Nathan Avaldi from the Rays for Jalen Beeks, who was a AAA guy for them. And Nathan Avaldi is interesting because he's just been everywhere in the AL East. And I think he's been, I think this is sort of a Lance Lynn type of move. I don't see Avaldi doing anything special. He had a really good first start for them, but I think we've seen the past with Avaldi. Everyone gets excited about his peripheral numbers, his stuff, his whip, but when push comes to shove, the production just never seems to be there. So unless he has a season that's wildly out of the ordinary, I think the Red Sox are just hoping for league average innings heading down the stretch of the season. Don't lose the game for us. That's how I take this move. Yeah, I agree with you. Obviously, like you mentioned, Devaldi was on the Yankees. So I did watch him pitch quite a bit. I'll never forget. I went to a game. I saw him pitch live once and uh, he pitched, I think, eight innings with over 10 strikeouts. He was obviously throwing the ball 100 miles an hour and he had his sinker working and he looked untouchable. Uh, But anytime I see his name, there's always something in the back of my mind that thinks that he is going to break out and and become top half of the rotation kind of guy. It's just something that I do get excited about anytime I I hear of Alden news. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys. It feels like to me, we've been waiting for Evaldi to break out for 10 years now, just over and over again. He has the makings of a star pitcher. It's just whatever happens, maybe I've heard that the fastball's flat. He's just the production never quite equals or it comes close to equaling the talent that he does have. 
And another move that didn't sort of pique my interest was the Red Sox acquiring Ian Kinsler. He's a guy where he fills that he can fill, you know, a lot of the time that hole at the second base position. They're using Brock Holt a lot there. I'm sure that there'll be some juggling with that position. But Kinsler's a guy where really bad start to the season with the Angels. Again, he's he's had a good July, but still hitting 239, 304 on base percentage, 406 slugging percentage. He's been around the league forever. He's been an all-star. He's really had a great career, but I think he fits in well at the back end of that lineup. But I don't know if in a playoff series, if he's up to that level of competition now. What do you think? You're right that Ian Kinsler isn't the player he used to be, but he's probably better than Brock Holt. 80% of Kinsler is superior to Brock Holt, but I don't know if you can get to 80% of Peaky and Kinsler. I think he's a 50% guy. So it's a move. I don't know. I think he'll be in the starting lineup a lot just because he's Ian Kinsler. I don't necessarily know like how much he'll, he'll help at this point of his career. Yeah, you wonder if he has a an extra gear that he can maybe summon for a postseason run, you know, gets really excited, he's on a great team, he's a veteran player. I wouldn't be surprised if, if maybe he can summon a little something extra. So, interesting move. Uh, another sort of surprise move, this was announced yesterday afternoon or early evening. Chris Sale to the 10-day DL with shoulder inflammation. They're saying it's not serious, it's not serious. Sale's expected to be back. He'll miss a start and hopefully be back after that. He said, you know, if I had, if it was a situation where I had to go, so I'm assuming like a playoff type of situation, then he would pitch. But Chris Sale's a guy where he always tends to, he, he pitches worse down the stretch of seasons, struggled in the playoffs last year. And he's a skinny guy, weird throwing motion. I would be concerned if I'm a Red Sox fan about Chris Sale already having arm issues and it's August 1st and he was on such a roll. Is this going to be something that torpedoes his year in terms of that? I think it's a big red flag. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, George, anytime a pitcher, especially of Chris Sale's caliber, is experiencing any kind of pain, especially in their throwing arm, you should be concerned. Pitchers are fragile. And I think we've seen it a lot, especially over the past few years where a guy goes from being an elite pitcher in the league and then an injury that they never really come back from or never are fully the same. And I think it's a very fragile balance um, that can be thrown off. So anytime you hear anything, especially, as I said, in their throwing arm, you have to be concerned. The Red Sox are saying it's not too bad, and I'm sure their fans are, are hoping that's the case. And I think chances are that it is nothing and that he just misses one start. And the Red Sox also need Chris Sale to be Chris Sale if they are going to win the World Series. Because for me, I look at the rest of that rotation and I just don't believe in it. Eduardo Rodriguez is sort of a guy where he'll pitch five innings, he'll give up two runs, but it'll be a really difficult five innings. He'll throw 105, 110 pitches. At this point, Price in the playoffs or against any good team, I'm not confident in that situation at all. And then you look at the rest of the guys you have in Avaldi. I don't know who outside of Chris Sale do you really believe in can shut down another playoff team. And I'm concerned if I'm a Red Sox fan. We need Chris Sale is my would be my point of view. So hopefully for them, it's no big deal. He can come back, but it's a red flag and it's something that bears watching. And we've talked about now two AL East teams. There was a third team, the Rays, had another large impact on the trade deadline. They're 
their fingerprints were all over the place, especially with, and I'd love to get into this, for me, the most confusing move of the day yesterday, the Pirates got Chris Archer for Austin Meadows and uh, Tyler Glasnow. And Meadows and Glasnow are, are guys where they were top 10 type prospects a couple of years ago, right, I, before the 2017 season, everyone was hyping these guys up. People aren't as high on them now as they were then, but they're still young type of guys who I think if you're in the Pirates type of situation, you're building for the future. These are the kind of guys you want to hold on to. Meadows got off to a really hot start and has cooled down really quite a lot, but he's still a guy. He has shown that at the big league level, there is something there. If he can put it together, he's a cornerstone type of piece. Glasnow, I think, I still believe in him. It's their first time at the big league level. They're learning on the fly. The Pirates, this to me is an overreaction to a team that's in the hunt, and I put that in quotation marks, though you can't see it, in the team that's in the hunt for a second wild card spot. And even if you do get a second wild card spot, then what? What's so great about that? I think it's an overreaction. I don't know why they need a Chris Archer who'll be in his 30s soon. They traded away Garrett Cole last offseason, so why are you trading away good young talent for Chris Archer, who's a worse pitcher than Cole? It doesn't make any sense to me. And I think Chris Archer is the most overrated guy in the game. He puts up huge strikeout numbers and everyone gets excited. But the actual production is that of a number three or even a number four type of starter. So I'll ask you first, because we were talking about this beforehand. What are your thoughts on Chris Archer? I have a pretty similar thought that you do, George. I He seems to me, every time I've watched him pitch, to be a, li- a little bit emotionally unstable on the mound you know you like to see a picture who's kind of rock solid has his game face on the whole time doesn't get flustered too easily and I don't know if I'd really say that about Archer you know besides that everything that you just said George I agree with basically the one thing I'd say is if I'm the Pirates I think that second wild card spot would be really great if they got it my feeling about the playoffs is Usually the better team wins the series, but it's anybody can win a one-game playoff wildcard game, even the worst team. And, you know, all it takes is a couple guys getting hot, fans rallying around you, everyone in the clubhouse getting excited, and you can see teams making making deep runs. And so I think that it's okay to want to go for that second wildcard spot. I'm not criticizing that part of their move necessarily, but I do agree with you that they're giving up young prospects. It doesn't make sense given what they did with Cole this last last offseason. And I'm with you that Archer's a bit overhyped. Yeah, and the Pirates right now are three games back. If they were five games back, like the Washington Nationals, then I don't think they make a move like this. And they were only just on a hot streak. So the timing lined up for them in the ebbs and flows of their season to get Chris Archer, but... I honestly don't know how much I trust this team as an above 500 team. I think there's a lot of potential here for them to finish around 80 to 82 wins. And if you finish around 80 to 82 wins, once again, why is Chris Archer on this team? You just entered a rebuilding phase. You traded away Andrew McCutcheon. You're turning the corner. So why make a move like this? Why get... And everyone's going to talk about the contract. It's a very favorable contract. There's team options there. It's cheap. But once again, I don't know how much Chris Archer helps you in the future. And if you're looking at the Pirates timeline, then you would rather, for me, I would much rather have a guy like Austin Meadows on my team 
and try to develop him, try to see what I can get. Because I think if the Pirates are going to make a deep run in the playoffs, it's not happening this year. It's happening in a couple of seasons. And again, I, I keep coming back to it. I don't think Chris Archer helps that much. And especially in the context of the Garrett Cole signing, that makes no sense. Cole obviously wasn't what he is in Houston in Pittsburgh. He was worse in Pittsburgh. But I mean, why why run with Chris Archer and give up more than you got for Cole? It's just, it's entirely confusing to me. I hate the move. I think the Pirates are the big loser of the deadline. And I don't believe in Chris Archer that much. Again, I'll come back to the stats. 4.31 ERA, 1.38 whip. Injury plague this year. He hasn't had an ERA below four over the last two and a half seasons. Again, I just don't see it. So the Rays, however, also, you know, they were more involved. There's a Tommy Pham deal in there that was very perplexing. They also traded Wilson Ramos to the Phillies, who is an interesting guy. Ramos was an all-star this year. He sidelined with a hamstring injury, expected to be back in August. But that's an interesting deal to see how that comes out. But I'd like to sort of frame this conversation as an NL East conversation. Both the Phillies and the Braves made moves. I think, to try to contend for the division title. The Phillies acquired Etrubal Cabrera, who mostly plays second base at this point, but he's a professional type of hitter, 800 OPS, 18 home runs on the year. Gave up a big prospect to the Mets. The Braves, meanwhile, countered getting uh, Kevin Gosman and Darren O'Day from the Orioles and Adam Duvall from the Reds. So my question for you is, after seeing these moves, we made second half MLB predictions uh, in the first episode of this podcast. But taking another look after the deadline, after each team has made a couple moves, the Phillies and Braves are right there still. The Braves are half a game back of the Phillies. So if you had to make a pick, are you going Braves or are you going Phillies right now? Look, if we're talking just about the deadline, the most substantial move is the Phillies acquiring Ramos. He makes them quite a bit better. I think that the Braves made some moves too, but didn't really get someone of Ramos's caliber. So I don't know. It's it's hard to say, George. And they're half a game apart. Injuries and whatnot down the line are just going to tell a lot of the story. And I said this on the first episode. I still think that the Nationals are in this race. I think Harper's going to start hitting. I think they have a lot of talent on their team that's kind of been underperforming. There's a reason we came into this season thinking that the Nationals are going to win the division. George, you and I did a podcast kind of a while back previewing the MLB season. We both picked the Nationals to uh, win the East, I think, without too much competition. They've underperformed thus far, but who's on their team hasn't changed. And I, I still think they might make a run. Yeah, and we haven't even talked about this, but the Nationals scored 25 runs last night. So They did? <laughs> they 25 runs against the Mets. They kept scoring. They scored seven in the first, then three, 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 zero, zero, six. Six runs in the eighth against Jose Reyes, who threw for 48 pitches. But they're still five and a half back. I still, you're right. I look at the talent on this team, and if there's a team – that has that is sort of at the cusp of the playoff race in the league. I still believe in the Nationals. I will say that in terms of deadline moves, I do like what the Phillies did a bit more than the Braves. I've been saying Braves the whole season, but the Phillies moves has has me leaning a little more towards the Phillies perspective. The Braves getting Gossman, I think that's a hope that a change of scenery will do him some good from a bad situation in Baltimore. But he's another guy where I think 
We've been talking about his potential for years now, and a league to slightly below average pitcher is the guy that I think he is. Adam Duvall, I don't believe him. He's never been able to get on base at a consistent rate, and all, and he's gone considerably worse this year. But I like Wilson Ramos, like you said. He's the most substantial guy acquired. But Shrubal Cabrera is just a professional hitter. I think they really strengthen their lineup, especially toward the middle, towards the back end of that. Five, six, seven, they're a lot more more solid of a position than they have been. So I think I will actually say that after their moves, I do like the Phillies slightly over the Braves. But you're right. I mean, if the Nationals can score 25 runs in a game and they have guys like Scherzer and you hope Strasburg can come back and contribute to what he normally does, that's a dangerous team. You almost hate to see them score 25 runs in a game. You know, all of them are thinking, like, why couldn't we have spaced these 25 runs over four games? And that's a lot of wasted hits and stuff. And you're looking at – you. I mean, everyone likes to talk about the run uh, differential mark, and they're at a plus 59 right now. So that's – let me see. That's the one, two, three – so that's the fifth best in the National League right now. So if you're going on that route, you're saying maybe this is a playoff team, but – 21 of those runs were last night. So I think that's a little bit misleading. Yeah, watch them score zero tonight. <laughs> yeah, no, if they get shut out tonight, that has to kill you because you average 12 and a half runs over a two-game span. That's that's really incredible stuff. Uh, 25 runs is something you don't see very often. So the talent is clearly quite there. So moving over from the NL East, though, to the NL Central, more moves, obviously. The Brewers have really been making a lot of moves over the past year, dating back to last offseason. They got Mike Moustakis from the Royals, and they got Soria from the White Sox, a big-time relief pitcher for them. They got Jonathan Scope from the Orioles, and Scope and Moustakis are both guys who have power, but you wonder, again, if they can get on base at a consistent rate. They both had really great years last year. Moustakis hit 38 home runs. Scope hit 32 and had 105 RPIs, RBIs, and they're not even close to that this year. But again, both guys where I think you hope that a change of scenery will spark them. Maybe even like we were talking with Ian Kinsler, you're hoping for a spark for a new sort of jolt in their step. And I like what they did. I think that infield's better. So my question for you right now is, the Cubs got Cole Hamels. I'll talk about that in a little bit. I really like Cole Hamels. The move, I'm not sure how high I am on Cole Hamels at this point, but do you think the Brewers can beat the Cubs in this playoff race in the NL Central, or is this more of a wild card team? We've seen the Brewers and the Cubs kind of vying back and forth now all year. So what do you think of this Brewers-Cubs race? I think that the Cubs are a better team. I think they have a lot of pieces remaining from their championship team. So I'm going to pick the Cubs still. Look, uh, the Brewers had a good deadline. They added Moustakas. They added Scope, you know, these other pieces that you mentioned. They got better. The other thing I'll say is when you talk about the deadline, you talk about the moves that were made, but you also have to think about the moves that weren't made. And basically every team, or sorry, every player, when there was discussion of so-and-so's on the trading block, where are they going to go? Yankees, Red Sox, Brewers were always in that mix. They were always on the list of teams trying to improve. Uh, they got Moustakas as probably their grand prize from the deadline. They didn't get any of the even bigger names. So they improved, but not as much as they could have. 
Actually, I would ask you, how much do you believe in a guy like Mike Moustakis? Because he's had an interesting career to me. He has really, really good all-star type years. He's a two-time all-star now. But also years where things just don't go well for him. He's, to me, year to year, incredibly inconsistent. And there was that whole issue last offseason where he got a really small one-year contract and everyone was sort of shaking their heads. But do you believe a guy like Mike, like Mike Moustakis can have a real big impact on the Brewers or does he end up just with middling returns? Because he helped the Royals out so much in their playoff runs, but I just don't know if I believe in him as a guy in the middle of an order of a championship contending team still. Well, that's kind of the point that I was making, George, which is that he's a good player. He makes them better, but he's not a superstar. And that's what I meant by the Brewers didn't make one of the huge splashes with some of the other guys who were available. So yes, he makes them better. But like you're saying, no, I don't think he's a guy that you can pencil into the four hole and expect massive production from. And just as one last note, sort of on the Brewers moves, I really like the Orioles snagging Villar. He's a guy where he had a huge season. I'll just rattle off the stats. 19 home runs, 62 stolen bases, 826 OPS for a middle infield guy. That's a huge, huge year. That's just terrific stuff. And he hasn't been the same since, but I think he's a guy where you can take a shot with him. If you're the Orioles, you have nothing to lose. You're so, so bad. You might as well get guys like this where where you know that they can have a huge year and see if you can sort of unlock that potential back. One last move in the NL Central, the Cubs, my Cubs, acquire Cole Hamels and Cash to offset his huge contract for Eddie Butler, Raleigh Lacey, who's a prospect and a player to be named. I really like this move for the Cubs. Sort of like what you were thinking about with the Yankees. They didn't give up anyone that's going to have a huge impact for them in this year and in years to come, really. Eddie Butler threw 19 innings this year. Lacey's an A-ball pitcher. Cole Hamels is a guy, he's having a bad year. 4.72 ERA, 1.37 whip. Definitely far past his prime. But again, you hope a change in scenery from Texas into a playoff race can jolt him back into somewhat of his form. And 70% of Cole Hamels is better than what the Cubs have been throwing out there. I'll tell you what, Tyler Chatwood cannot stop walking, guys. It's the most angering thing I've ever had to watch. And he's trying. I'll give him credit. I'm going to rattle off some stats for you right now. I'm just pulling them up. Tyler Chatwood, in 94 innings pitched, has 85 walks <laughs> and, an 80, and 82 strikeouts. That's hard to do. 85 walks and 94 innings pitched. He has a 1.78 whip which it's a miracle his ERA is only 4.98. He's gotten bailed out by the Cubs. His record's 4-5, and five, which shows you you can't judge by, re- by records at all, as everyone's been saying for the past 10 years. It's a pretty obvious point. But Tyler Chatwood is so bad that I would rather have Cole Hamels throwing league average innings in there any day of the week. And I think he's just a guy where, you know, maybe Cole Hamels can throw for a 3-7 ERA down the stretch. And that would really help this team because who knows when you Darvish is coming back I just like having a guy like Cole Hamels, a guy who's been through deep playoff runs before. I think he's a big help. I agree. There's not much for the Cubs to lose in this trade. Why not give it a shot? Hope that he turns things around around a little. Yeah. So this is something that actually I do want to ask you, and I haven't talked to you at all about this, but the Dodgers made a huge move, obviously, with Manny Machado. And just to quickly state some of their other moves, uh, let me pull that up. I have like a full list going right now. So the Dodgers got Brian Dozier from the Twins, second baseman, 
lot of power, traditionally big second half and John Axford. So my first question for you is the Dodgers and the Cubs have been contending in the NLCS now for a while. It seems like they're the two powerhouses in the national league, which team, if you had to go with your gut, would you say makes the world series? The Dodgers obviously made a huge splash with Machado. The Cubs stayed more pat hoping that Rizzo and Brack can write the ship. So what do you think Cubs Dodgers? Dodgers. You're still going Dodgers. Why? The move that the Cubs made acquiring Hamels, I agreed is a nice move, but it doesn't make them worlds better. So nothing's really changed since we did our last podcast, George, in which I said that I picked the Dodgers and not to get into Machado because we've already discussed that. Uh, but that's huge. He's he's one of the true stars in our game right now. And I think that the jo- the Dodgers and the Cubs probably were neck and neck before that. And I think the Dodgers got a lot better and the Cubs didn't. One last team that did make some moves was, to quickly note, the Arizona D-backs. They got Eduardo Escobar. He's having a great year. Got a couple of relief guys, Brad Ziegler, Jake Diekman. So that's a team still in contention for the NL West. I think they're a wild card team. But just to overall sum everything up, we're past the trade deadline now. You never know what can happen with waiver moves. Justin Verlander got moved last year late, and that was a huge shock to everyone. It would have been great to have this doing this uh, podcast then because we would have had a lot to talk about with Verlander just getting moved. But it seems like for now we're mostly set with moves that have occurred. Was there anything that happened after Machado in the last week or so that you look at and says this is going to have a big impact on the playoffs and the World Series hunt? I guess what I would say is I like what the Phillies did for me. They're a considerably they're a considerably better product than what they were just a week ago. But for you, are there any moves that sort of moved the needle looking at the Yankees and the Red Sox again? Do you think the trade deadline week has made any huge impact? No. I, look, there weren't that many big names going to that many big teams that I think it really changed the landscape. But small moves can make a big difference. So it's hard to say that it, it's not going to matter down the road. It's certainly going to affect each of these ball clubs that were making moves. I think Machado is the biggest and George, one thing that we could uh, mention briefly is that what didn't happen, which is that Harper didn't get moved. It, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, I think that was sort of a dangle type of thing, I think, to me, where the Nationals were just sort of tossing out the name to see if any team would go nuts and offer a ridiculous return for them. And when that didn't happen, I think they laid it back. I don't know. It's an interesting question because for me, I really do believe he's gone in free agency. So it's the classic question. Do you trade him now to get something in return? And I think maybe you do. But like you said, the Nationals are still on paper, one of the most talented teams in the league. Maybe they can write the ship and Bryce Harper would be a big part in that. But yeah, you got to think they wanted a, a, a true King's ransom for him. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking, I mean, if you're going to trade Bryce Harper in, he's not having a good year, but I think the Nationals, that was a classic. We want a huge return for him. Sort of like the Spurs with Kawhi and the Lakers. They're like, we want Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma, Alonzo Ball and Josh Hart. And they just keep going. It's that sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, so we're recording this once again on a Wednesday. So when you listen to this, this upcoming weekend on a Saturday, Yankees and the Red Sox will be in the middle of a huge, I think, four-game set. So 
that'll tell us a lot sort of about mm-hmm. how those two teams stack up now. Obviously, Judge and Sale are out, but if the Yankees are going to make up ground, they have to start making up ground right now. So really interesting week in major in the major league season. We'll be back next week, uh, next Saturday, since this will come out on a Saturday. So thank you for listening, Alex. Always, always good to have you. Thanks, Georgia. All right. And that will do it for us. Bye.